Jeremy. All right. Well, I don't know if y'all know this, but it's a good day, right? It's a good day to be here, and it's a good day to celebrate. You know what we're celebrating? Well, I wasn't saying that, but it's not what I was saying, but it's true. We're celebrating that. Uh, I was saying that we're celebrating. It's a good day to celebrate because the God of the universe is madly in love with us, right? And that is a reason to celebrate um, if we have nothing else, and we do have so much more. But um, we're going to be starting a, uh, a little mini sermon series this week. We're calling it Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Um, and the, the theme of this whole series or the thing that's going to tie these messages together is uh, I mean, you know, you know the place, right? I mean, you know that, that phrase, between a rock and a hard place. It's, it's about making tough decisions, or it's about having a tough decision in front of you, and, and, uh, and it means like, okay, if I choose this, uh, I don't win if I choose that, but my other choice is this, and I lose there too. So what, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's a rock and a hard place. You're between a rock and a hard place. And so um, the stories that we're going to look at, or the scriptures we're going to look at, deal with that kind of a thing. Um, where there's a difficult decision to be made, uh, and also for fun, they're going to involve a rock uh, somewhere, and maybe they'll only involve a rock and not a difficult, listen, when I pick a sermon series, the point of it is really just to get me to move from message to message, and so sometimes the, the, thing, the, the themes are a little bit loose, um, but anyway, today's message does involve a difficult decision for somebody, even though scripture doesn't specifically say that it was a difficult decision, um, and it also does involve a rock um, or rocks of some sort. So we're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac. Uh, and, and you'll see what that means or the difficult decision, obviously, that's there ahead. But we're going to go to Genesis 22, and we're going to start there this morning. Um, so uh, Genesis 22, start in verse 1. And we're going to read almost this whole thing, okay? Um, so it says this, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains uh, of which I will tell you. Now let's just pause there for just a second. Just a second. Forget what you know about this story, okay? Uh, pretend... If you can, put yourself in the place that this is the first time you've ever heard this, okay? Even you're a Christian, you're a born-again believer, but you've never heard this story about Abraham, okay? Now, God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, uh, the one that you love, and just to be clear, that's Isaac, not Ishmael. We're going to clear that up. Isaac, okay, he says, and offer him as a burnt offering to me. What's your reaction to that? If this is the first time you've ever heard that, you're probably like, uh, are you sure God said that? Are you sure that was like our God and not one of the other gods? Or, you know, are you sure that was Yahweh? Um, no, that can't be right. But there it is, right? There it is. And so God says to Abraham, Take Isaac, your only son, the son you love, and offer him as a burnt offering to me, is what he's saying. So continue on in verse 6. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering um, 
sorry, I forgot. First, Abraham does it, right? He does it. So he says, okay, let's, let's go. We're, uh, we're going to get my son. We'll get my son. I'll take a couple of servants. We'll go find some firewood. We're going to head up to this mountain. So they go, and as they're on their way there, they, get, they travel for three days. So this is not a short journey. Um, what kind of thoughts are going through Abraham's head as he's, as he's making this trip and Isaac's head as they're making this trip? Think about it. Uh, and then verse 6. So they, they get three, uh, get, they travel three days, they get to the edge uh, of where they're supposed to be going, and Abraham says, all right, guys, you stay here. Me and Isaac, we're going to go on up and we're going to worship, okay? So he tells the servants to stay there. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he laid it on his son Isaac, and he took his hand, in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together, and Isaac spoke to his father, Abraham, and said, my father, and he said to him, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, son. And so the two of them walked on together. At this point, Isaac knows something's off, right? He knows something's, he doesn't, in my mind, anyway, he doesn't know that he's the sacrifice, because why would he ever think that? Because this is his dad. They go on walks, they go on hikes, right, uh, all together. And, and why, would he, why would he ever think? They've, they've sacrificed before, but they've always had a lamb or they've always had something to sacrifice. And this is God. God asked him to do it. I mean, we know God. God wouldn't ask that. So he knows something's up, right? But he doesn't know that he's going to be the sacrifice. He knows something's missing. We've, we've done these offerings before, and we don't really have everything we need for that. Anyway, so then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham reached out with his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not reach out your hand against the boy. Do not do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And then Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and of the sand, which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my son or my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they got up and they went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Um, the first thing that I want to say about this is that we are reading this out of the Old Testament, right? Clearly, this is the Old Testament. Um, it's in the book of Genesis. And there's no Jesus in the Old Testament, right? I mean, Jesus is there because he's the son of God. And son of God is eternal, so he was there from the beginning and from the, you know, he was there when everything was created and everything was created through him. We know the son of God is present in all of this, right? But Jesus Christ had not come 
and died and rose again for the redemption of people. Right? So when you look at Abraham and the relationship between Abraham and God, it is not the same relationship that you have with God. Okay? When you look at the Old Testament, you have to remember that. It's a different relationship than you have with God. Abraham hadn't been born again. Abraham didn't have the Holy Spirit living within him, okay? He had a a special covenant or a special agreement with God that God had already made with Abraham about God's blessing on him, about God prospering him. Um, It's repeated again in here about God uh, uh, blessing the world through Abraham and through his descendants and all of that. He had that, but Abraham was not born again. Abraham still existed in that place that came after the fall of Adam and Eve. So after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and before the Son of Man, the Son of God, came to seek and save the lost. Okay? That's where Abraham lived. He lived in that time. So Abraham was not under a covenant of grace. He was not uh, under a covenant of new life in Christ, like you are if you're born again. So be careful about assuming that what God does with Abraham is what God does with you. Does that make sense? God, be careful with that because it's a different covenant. Not a different God, but a different covenant. It's a different way of relating to you and I than God had with those people. Because if it's the same, then what did Jesus do? What did his death and resurrection do? What did it accomplish? That's always a question you have to ask yourself. So knowing that, uh, and also knowing that I asked you to pretend or to forget what you know about this story, um, the reason I do that is because I always want to hear or see or read or whatever scripture with a fresh perspective, right? A fresh lens. Let's, God, show me something in this that maybe maybe doesn't always go with what we've been taught or what we've learned or what we've assumed about these things. Show me something fresh here. And so um, if you're like me, when you read scripture or when you listen to scripture or you hear somebody teach on scripture, you often do so through the lens of the history that you have with it, okay? So what we read, (laughs) you didn't like that? All right. (laughs) So what we read or what we listen to, or as we're reading or listening to Scripture, we're, we're often making the jumps ahead to what we've been taught about this scripture already, right? Or what we, what we believe we understand or what we know about this thing. Um, because we're doing it through the lens of, of that past teaching, past understanding. Um, so I would say that as we do that, or as we read a scripture like this, there's some in the room who, like me, when you hear that story, you can very quickly jump to the idea that this is a great lesson for us about how to put God first, right? You've heard, I I would say you've heard a message like that before, right? How to put God first. And we look at Abraham or we admire the fact that he was, uh, um, there was absolutely nothing 
more important to him than God. Nothing more important to him than God. He was willing to give his absolute best for God. Because in his world, the most important thing to him in his world, besides God, was laying on an altar, formed by rocks, that's where our rocks come in, right, by the way, was laying on an altar, tied up, bound, ready to be offered as a sacrifice to God, okay? So there was, there was nothing that Abraham was willing to withhold from God. And I mean, look at the results, right? Look at the results. Because God was asking him to do that, and we admire it, God blessed him, right? In that choice, he chose Abraham to multiply his descendants to bless the whole world. We know that's Jesus coming through this line, this descendants of, of Abraham and all of that. Um, it's very easy to go to that kind of a place with this scripture. Uh, but Abraham in this situation, is, is, it's, it's a tough decision. It doesn't say it was a hard decision for him. It says he got up and did it, right? But there's got to be one of those places of being in between a rock and a hard place. Like, what am I going to do here? I mean, I can choose to um, offer my son as a sacrifice because God asked me to do it. So I'm going to offer him as a sacrifice and I'm going to keep my relationship with God. But that's not a win, if you ask me. I mean, because he lost his son. Right? He's in that position. Or I can choose to, I can refuse to do this offering and keep my son, but now I'm, my relationship with God is, is at stake, right? It's, it's up in the air because who knows how God's going to respond to that. This is, a, this is one of those between a rock and a hard place kind of a decisions for Abraham. He's losing either way. And we always focus on Abraham in, that, in this story, but what about Isaac. How does Isaac feel about this situation and what's being asked? What about Isaac's relationship to God in this, right? Or Sarah, her son, she didn't have a choice in it. Abraham took Isaac on a walk, and this is what's going to happen. She didn't have a choice in it. Or anybody watching this thing play out. But ultimately, we know that Abraham chose God. He was going to go through with it, going to go through with it. And we can look at this story and we go, man, I hope when I'm in that situation, I have the courage to do what Abraham did, to choose God, even if it's over my biggest hopes and my dreams, even over the most important things to me in this life. We've heard messages like that, right? We've been inspired to, in, into that. But I'm telling you, man, when I look at this story and I put myself in this, I try and put myself, find myself in this story all I can think about is the anguish and the confusion and the chaos of those moments, the struggle that's going on inside everybody in this situation. These were real people. This really happened, okay? And honestly, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with it. Because in the niceties of religion... We can say, well, yeah, God wants to be first. God deserves to be first. I wholeheartedly agree with it. He deserves to be first 
in our lives. He said, you shall have no other idols before me, right? No other gods before me. Don't keep idols. It's a commandment. God comes first. And if we have to choose between serving the Lord and the things I love most in my life, man, I choose God. He's first, right? That feels nice and neat and tidy. feels very put together. It's not complicated. And so if you're looking at this story and you're in a situation where you're in a rock and, between a rock and a hard place and you're looking for answers about why things are going south in your life or why your dreams are slipping out of your reach or about decisions that are laid in front of you where you feel like there's no win, rock in a hard place, you can look at this and say, well, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. This isn't so bad, is it? So I guess I'll give up my blank for you, God. Because clearly you're testing me, right? You fill in the blank. I'll give up my blank so that, God, you will know I choose you over everything else. It feels very humble. It feels right to have that kind of attitude about all things. So we make this a lesson about putting God first, and we feel good about it. We feel good about it. Until you really start to look at this story and you say, wait a minute. God asked Abraham to kill and burn his son for him? The scripture spells it out. Your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, the promised son, the son that God brought about in the first place, right? God made, made Isaac happen because Abraham was well beyond his years to have kids. Sarah was well beyond years to having children to the point that when the angel came and said, hey, you're gonna have this son, she laughed, right? And then she denied it. I didn't laugh. Oh, yeah, I heard you, right? <laughs> right? She was way beyond. This is the son, and God followed through on all that. He promised it, it happened, and now God is saying, take Isaac and kill him, sacrifice him for me. And you have to say, like, in that situation, this is why God gave us Isaac. Like, if you're in that situation, this is why you, this is, that's messed up. Not really another way to think about it. It's messed up. Oh, but God wasn't really asking Abraham to kill his son Isaac. He was just testing him. He stopped him. He didn't do it. He didn't want him to go through with it. No harm, no foul. Tell that to Abraham when he's got the knife at his son's neck. Tell that to Isaac when his dad's building a fire and tying him up on the ground, getting ready to put him on the altar. Talk about family trauma. Whew. That's a heavy one we're going to have to go through therapy for, right? But we cannot fathom that we can't we can't even think about it right to the point that we say out loud there's no way god would ask me to do that no way but he asked abraham to do it and abraham was about to do it and we celebrate him for it because it's a lesson on how to give god everything But imagine Abraham was telling you this story today, like in the middle of it, 
yeah, I was, I was there, I was watching some sheep sitting underneath a fig tree, and God came to me and, and said, I want you to take your son Isaac up to this mountain, and I want you to sacrifice him. And I said, God, are you sure? Like, Isaac is my world. And God said, yeah, I'm sure. So tomorrow, me and Isaac, we're going to go on a hike, and I guess I'm going to do what God's asking me to do, because God's first, right? What do you do in that situation? You call the police, right? You do everything possible to make sure Isaac is okay. You go look for him. You find him. You hide him in your house because you got to keep him away from this crazy man. And then you go and you try and find Abraham some help because this guy is, is ill, right? Put it into terms that you understand. But we still use it as a moral lesson. And we ask one another, what are you willing to give up for God? What are you holding back from him? What's so precious to you that you aren't willing to part with? Give it to God. He wants to be first. Listen, I've even, ha- I've even heard this kind of idea, this lesson, this argument go to the, degree, to the degree that if you aren't willing to part with something for God, he's going to take it from you so that he's first. Think about this. What kind? Really, like, what kind of behavior are we putting on God? It's like five-year-old kind of a give it to me. I deserve it behavior. I'll take it from you so you love me first. (laughs) What kind of a God is that? But it's so entrenched in what we believe about God. Is the creator of the universe that insecure that he will take away the things that you love so that he can be first? I don't think God works that way. You know why I think that? Because he did something that we could never imagine, that we could never fathom him asking of us. The thing that we look at with horror, the thing that, oh God, he he would never ask that of me. That's exactly what he did for you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. He gave his son for you. And his son knew what was going on the whole time. Nobody had to tie him up. Nobody had to drag him to the thing. Now, of course, they did. They tied him up, and they dragged him, and they whipped him, and they beat him, and they stripped him, and they, they, they beat him and, and whipped him and mutilated him beyond recognition. He wasn't even recognizable. But he did all of that willingly, and you know that he did it all willingly because he could have said enough at any point, and yet he endured it. He didn't say enough. He didn't stop it because he wanted you or he wanted to ensure that nothing could ever come between you and him. Nothing could ever come between you and him again. And the only way to do that was to redeem you through his sacrifice, not yours. 
So I'm not exaggerating when I say I cannot make sense of this whole thing between Abraham and God because I believe 100% it played out this way. 100% Abraham, real guy, Isaac, real guy. God asked him, Abraham went. I believe it. And I have a hard time reconciling that with the God that I know who gave up everything for me. And the absolute torture that this must have been for Abraham and Isaac. And look at the rest of the Old Testament. Look at the rest of the scripture. Over and over and over, God says, don't do child sacrifice. <laughs> he says it over and over and over. He says, don't do it. And it's crazy to even think he's got to say it, but you have to understand that it was a regular part of the world, okay? It was a regular part of worship of these other gods. His kids, Israel, even fell victim to it when they intermarried and intermingled with these other uh, uh, societies and groups and, and peoples. They even fell victim to it, and he says, it's detestable to me. Stop. Don't do it, okay? Don't do it. And he has to say that because people did it. Their gods demanded it as a, a, a level of devotion. It was a sign. You're not willing to hold anything back from me, even your children. Over and over, God says, don't, 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 don't. I do not desire human sacrifice. And yet, <laughs> here it is. Here it is. So I can't make sense of that. I cannot make sense of it. But I can make sense of the fact that this story is a foreshadowing of what God was willing to do for you. Not the other way around. Not about what you're willing to sacrifice for God, but what the Father was willing to sacrifice for you. What is unimaginable for you and me, God would never ask me. He would never do that. I can say with a guarantee, guarantee, he is not going to ask you to sacrifice your child. <laughs> right? I guarantee you. That's exactly what God did for you in Jesus Christ. And we can read about it in Scripture. We hear it all the time. Our God is a jealous God, right? That goes with this idea. Our God is a jealous God. Look it up. Look at all the things that happened to the people of Israel because they chose to worship other gods or they chose to build temples to other gods or they kept idols for themselves or they didn't trust God when he said go here because they trusted their ability to handle it better than him, right? That came in between him and them. Or they chose their own self-protection. Look at the things that happened. God is jealous for you and for them. He was not willing for anything to come between him and his people. He's jealous. In fact, he was so jealous for us that taking things away that would come between us and him wasn't enough. Punishing people for putting other things first wasn't enough. It would never be enough. Because humanity is broken. 
we'd always go back to those other things. So instead of asking us to sacrifice things for him, he sacrificed for us. He provided the lamb for us. We can't fathom a world where God asks us to sacrifice our child for him because we live in a world where he sacrificed his child for us. The idea that this life that we now live in Christ, the Christian life, is mostly about sacrificing your life for God, it diminishes, it lessens what God's done for you, what he's accomplished in you. I know it sounds holy and it sounds humble and it sounds right to say that God wants your best. You've got to give him your best because he deserves it. But living, trying to live that out puts the focus and the energy of your life and in the effort of your life into trying to accomplish something that's already been done. It overlooks that God made that sacrifice for you and ultimately it overlooks what he's actually already accomplished in you. Because he sacrificed his son for us. Because of that, we can be born again. We can be made right in relationship with him where nothing can come between us anymore. There is no idol between us. There is no sin between us anymore. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. We cannot get any closer to him because he is in us and we are in him. That's what Jesus said was going to happen. And that's what's happened now. And I'm not saying you won't sacrifice things in your life. I'm not saying that. You probably will. In fact, I would expect you to be so in step with God that you really don't even look at these things as sacrifices anymore because it's not about what you're losing. It's about living in the provision of God, right? You're so dependent on God for everything in your life to meet all of your needs in every way that is not a sacrifice. You're not doing without. You're living above and beyond. I'm saying you're li- you'll live in such a way that it looks like sacrifice on the outside, that other people might interpret, well, how can you do that? How can you go without that? How can you give it that? But it's not a sacrifice because God is providing all of that. You give to somebody because you just want to bless somebody in a ridiculous way, and so you do it. Not because, oh, God's asking me to give this up because he's got to be first because this meant too much to me, or you got to, you got to prove that he's first. No, it's just who you are in Christ. It's just who you are. And as a born-again child of God, your hopes and your dreams line up more and more and more with who God is every day. And your attention is not focused on keeping God pleased because you know he's pleased with who you are in Christ. Your attention is on what's next in life, God? Where are you going next? Where can I go with you? You're not constantly checking yourself to see if there's something between you and him because you know there's nothing that can come between you and him. 
I believe all that's happening by the work of the Spirit of God in you, not the jealousy of God on the outside somehow forcing this on you. Kind of like we talked about last week, right? Living from the new heart within. The idea that life, this life we live in Christ is mostly about sacrificing your life for God diminishes your appreciation of what God did for you. And I know, again, I'll say it, it sounds humble and it sounds holy and it sounds right because mostly that's what we've been taught. To say that God wants your best, give him your best because he deserves your best and you'll be blessed. I know it sounds right. And I'm not advocating for you withholding anything for God. I'm advocating for you living a life so in step with God that that's not even in your realm of thinking. You're not focusing on that. You're just focusing on life with God. If you're born again by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, don't look at Abraham and think, I wish I could act like that. I wish I, I had that courage. I wish I was willing to give up A, B, C, D, E, but I just can't. Don't, don't do that. Don't look back at Abraham and think that because I believe Abraham would look at you, what you have with God and what God has done in you and he would be overwhelmingly desperate for what you have. He didn't have that. He didn't even know it was a possibility to be one with God. Trust the work that he has done in Jesus to be enough in you and then live life with God knowing that what he's done is enough. Why does the worship team come on back up? As they do, <laughs> when we were doing run-through, I didn't know necessarily the, or the songs they were doing, the order of the songs. It's kind of funny, a little ironic, because the first song we're going to sing is all about surrender. <laughs> so I'm giving up everything for you, God, right? Isn't that funny? Um, so we're singing about surrendering. But the bridge of this song is not about what can I give up for God. The bridge of this song is about, God, I am giving up all allegiances that I've had to any religion and any tradition and anything that is other than Christ, right? Make, I'm making room for you, God, because all this other stuff, it crowds us. It keeps us from seeing the reality of the work of Christ that's been done in us. And it keeps us focusing on, on pressing and working and trying and, oh, God, what do I got to give up next? What do I got to give up next? I'm, I'm all for you, God. God knows you're all for that's what I, That's what I, so confusing to me, this story about Abraham. Now I know. God says, now I know that you, God knew that before. Right? God knew it before. And he says, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that, that you fear me. I, now I know that you that, that, you're, that nothing, you will withhold nothing. God knew that before, so why all the steps and all the motions and all the trauma that's gonna come from this? I don't know. I got no answer for that. 
But I look at this story and I look at the, the amount of, of surrender that we have to do in our lives of holding on to things that maybe we thought we had figured out. Maybe that's the thought we were the, that was the way that we were supposed to do it. Maybe that was, that was the, the thing that I've always been taught or I've always asked the questions. It's okay. Ask the questions. God's a big God. He can handle your questions and he'll meet you there and he'll answer your questions, right? We have to trust that Jesus is enough. And living a life of, of open hands and living a life of saying, God, would you show me? Would you show me the reality of, of what you've done in me? And, and, and walking with God hand in hand in that life, it might look very similar to what religion says you should do but you're not doing it because you should do it. You're doing it because you're just walking with your father hand in hand through life and saying, what's next, God? Look at this bounty. Look at this blessing that you've done in my life, even in these hard times and these struggling times and the times when I don't know what to do. Look at the blessing that you've given me and you just live life from that position. You don't have to question, is it right, is it wrong? Just, just live with your father hand in hand and trust him. And that what he's done in Jesus Christ is enough. And I'm not talking, again, not talking about the opposite of living in sacrifice or offering a sacrifice or, or giving an offering. I'm not saying the opposite of that is rubbing God's nose in it and saying, how I'm not giving you anything, because that's not even in the realm of your thought. Like, we don't want that. We want to live with God. We want to live in step with him. So let's just do it, right? Let's just do it. Stand up to your feet and let's sing some more. God, we're going to offer this next song to you. I want to offer this next song to you for me. I don't know about anybody else in this room, but Lord, I want to offer this next song to you as an offering and as a sacrifice to say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not holding on to any tradition and any religion that does not express that you are the full and completed work within me. So I'm going to trust Jesus. Lord Jesus, would you help us come to that place? Laying down everything that we think we might gain from religion and just see you at work in our lives to continue to mature us and to grow us into who you've already made us. We love you, Lord. Amen.